you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., a production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio. I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut to it, cut to it, let's get down to it, cut to it. We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks. Let's cut to it. You ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. It's on. Man, welcome to the Cut To It podcast. Ronnie Brown, former NFL running back, and also one of the Auburn's great Ooh, yeah. duos in running back history. Ronnie Brown, welcome to the Cut To It podcast. Hey man, I appreciate it, fellas. Thank y'all for having me. Pre- welcome, welcome, bro. Welcome. I appreciate this. I'm Steve. I'm you G. know, uh, our co-star, our co-host, Gerard Littlejohn, aka G, and then you know, uh, backstage Joe. He's do he does all the backstage stuff and booking. Man, we got the three amigos. Man, we do a really. I got a really good team, and then Brian Baltashevis and Taylor up on the up on the dial. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I got a great team, and then Meredith uh, Carter. Uh, our producer as well, man. We got I got a lot of got a lot of great people. Uh, oh, let me let me rephrase. I we, got smarter people behind me. We got we brought the goons with us today. Let's just, let's just we got honest. goons. We, we brought this. We, we the goons. <laughs> I'm, I, y'all good. Y'all good. Y'all some good folks. But goon is not the category. <laughs> I I'm in. I'm gonna get my ass whooped if y'all my goons. <laughs> so for you, I'm done. But in the podcast world, yeah. That's it. In the, yeah. in the podcast world, I'm straight. In the, in the, podcast, I ain't in, in the streets, yeah. Molly Whopping's coming. <laughs> so let's get into it, man, so we can get down to your to, to the nuts and bolts of what you're doing right now because I'm I'm, I'm super excited about this because we, we have a lot of conversation here on the podcast on business and corporate America versus the transition, uh, uh, the corporate America version and how they see things, and then obviously us being athletes and how ad- making adjustments. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But, you know, let's let's do a little some little icebreakers. Um, so one thing from your childhood that you have carried into your adulthood is what? Man, it's uh, – I come from a small community, so it's probably just that lack of trust. Um, mm. Like you said, that – you know, not really trusting a lot of people. I think that 
you know, I think just looking at people for who they are. What's one of the worst jobs you've ever had? Man, I did construction right before I went off to school. Mm. They had me on the roof, re mm. retarring roofs. Yeah, that was terrible. Tar. That's 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 manual labor right there. Yeah, that's that dark skin work right there. <laughs> It helped. It definitely helped me leave. get stay this color. We're I promise to, you. Man, we're, gonna, we're gonna leave the brown bag test <laughs> and I get ice stuff. But, but here's the thing, though, man. Construction work. I don't care what you are, who you think you are. It will let you know what you ain't. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it let me know I ain't cut out for that. I tell you that. Man, I I worked construction. You want to lie the truth on how long I worked? Uh. Whoever signed up for it. Man, lie to me. So the lie is, man, I worked the whole summer. The truth is, I worked two days and I was done. <laughs> they had me in Utah working construction, and they had us doing a drill, like uh, ch chiseling down dirt. Mm -hmm. Well, my first day chiseling, mm -hmm. I chiseled for about two and a half, three hours. I tell you, I was still shaking at lunch, mm -hmm. like I was hosing, holding the chiller. <laughs> I was shaking. I said, man, I, I am not working. This is not me. Yeah. I, I went to school not to do this. Yeah, yeah. And this showed me, mm -mm, no, sir. I am not built for manual labor. Go back to the drawing board. I, I'll, make, I'll make food. I'll cook. But this right here. I'll sweep. But this right here. This here, this, this construction, it ain't for me. I had to shake the rest of the day, like I was holding a chiseler. I was <laughs> walking around. I was dry. I, I was like this. Yeah. I was like, man, this is mm -mm. no. Um, all right, last one. One thing we don't know about you that you like to share. I actually uh, wanted to be a professional baseball player. Like, mm. first, baseball was my first love. What? Okay. What? What position? Center field. Ooh, athlete. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something I'm thinking. That little mustache you got under your lip, you need to shave it. <laughs> you know what? I've been wanting to ask you for, uh, for years anyway. Like, yeah. hey, why you wear your hat like that? Why you want to bend the beard up? What, what's up with that? Well, since we're going to talk about it. We're asking tough questions today. Well, well honestly, I, wanna, I, hey. so I used to wear them like, you know how you used to wear the hats and you, you go down? Like baseball players. Like, yeah, yeah, like baseball players. Well, hell, you can't see. Yeah. Like, you know how you turn left or turn right? And the truth is, one time, I went forward and I hit my head. It's like the <laughs> so cap. been like that ever since. And I was like, man, this shit getting in the way. And I've been wearing hats since I was like 10 years old. So I just. Yeah, but the point of the bill was It's to my damn head. It ain't. It, it's sun. just like your nasty lips. Yeah, it's my I mean, head. You... <laughs> <laughs> I just was asking, man. This is your prerogative. <laughs> Your prerogative. Hey, Lids ain't got no problem with my hat collection because they I stay getting a new fitted all the time. <laughs> I don't know. I just like them like that. I don't know. I mean, they. Other, I, other I than. I wanted to see. I ain't know if it was a reason behind it. Yeah, because that's how I wanted it. Is it okay? Like, does it bother you a little bit? Hey, man, you like it. I love it. So, Your so, hat. That means yes. All right, sir, Ryan. Ronnie funny already. I like Ronnie too. You know what's funny, and we probably would agree, this conversation and banter uh -huh. normally does not happen on the football field, especially with us being older. Yeah. Now, the new generation, they they cool like this. Yeah. But the old generation, boy, we did not banter. Mm -hmm. We did not talk. It was professional dislike. Is that is that accurate? 
Yeah, we ain't got nothing to talk about. Yeah, yeah, we ain't got nothing to talk about doing games. Like it's just, it's just different. Like these cats different. Like they Swapping even when I went to the McDonald's all. Of, I went to the McDonald's All American game a few years ago, and usually growing up how I grew up, if you and I didn't play basketball, but if you a guy on this side of town, you hear the guy on the other side of town supposed to be the best. When you, you play him, you want to go on the wax. Oh, definitely, yeah. right. Like now, like bro, they, they cool. They be dapping up, doing. Mm-mm. They help each other up. I'm like, bro, this game done changed. Oh, like, right. it it's just different. A lot of friendships. Yep. You weren't friends with the with the cat who's on the rival team of the school that's down the street. Nah, we not we not friends. Like we might we might play AU together. And we may cross shoulders, but like you still ain't like cool cool like that. Like nah, we wanted to be. Brandon Setson and Roy Pete, you don't, you ain't trying to be like them. You ain't yeah, trying to, y'all ain't we ain't kicking it. It's a little different. It is different. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot different. I uh, mm-hmm. I remember having cousins on the other team, like our rival team. They were gonna get it just like yeah. everybody else. Was gonna <laughs> they were gonna get it yeah, first. They, it. they was gonna get right. it first. Yeah. <laughs> like just just, hey, you you relative, so you know how it's gonna get. Let's right. look. I already know. I, I know cousin Ronnie, so let me get him out the way now. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. You one hundred percent right. You one hundred percent right. So, yeah. So that's what I wear. I just I've been wearing my hats ever since. I like it this way, and I don't know. As one as one uh, social media person said, um, I was reading a comment. He said, "Man, a hat company sees Steve Smith coming, and they get upset." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this nah, was man. Off the you know, you grew already. up in the country. You kind of rough. Oh, I tell you, man, I didn't. I didn't go to the dentist. I was in the league. Thirteen cavities later, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too, bro. I love you, but I noticed that. <laughs> Boy, Damn! we ain't even got out the first segment yet. He I got know. the most jokes ever. I like, like it. You that's, my do- that's my dog. Watching these two dudes play. It was pretty. For, hold on, one thing I do have a bone to pick. Well, Ron, uh, uh, Cadillac. Okay, that's okay, Ronnie that's, Brown. Gotcha. Damn, Ronnie, <laughs> Ronnie Brown. They doing that damn. Um, what was that? What was that offense y'all was running? Wildcat. The yeah, Wildcat. Wildcat. Man, we tried to do that. Sh- <laughs> do that here, in Carolina. Yeah, when I was, was, I was at my prime. It was. It was. You a, better get that out of here with a real receiver out there. Y'all had no receivers. I know you had to be frustrated. With frustrated. That. I know you had to. <laughs> I had our uh, offense coordinator was Dan Henney. Mm. Yeah, yeah we try- would, bro. Listen, that was a default offense for us. You got to understand. I played in Miami for six years, mm. and I think I had 10, 11 different quarterbacks. That's tragic. Yeah, it was rough. That era, they still ain't. They still ain't recovered. They still looking for a quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) But they still living. They still living in Marino days. Marino ain't coming back. All right, so you know, tell us where you're from and the place you call your hometown. So I grew up in a a little town called Cartersville, like north of Atlanta, about 45 minutes. But I actually live in like Atlanta now. Mm -hmm. Down south, Georgia boy. So, yeah, authentically. Boy, boy, where you been? Ain't even the word, but like that's that's my word. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Where where you from? The whole nine. Yeah, yeah. I read you said you didn't have a lot. Explain us growing up without a lot, because there's some folk without a lot. It varies and it it, it looks differently. Yeah, for me, I mean, it was. I mean, it was, I grew up in a 
like I said, small town, but both of my parents, you know, had drug issues who, you know, unfortunately have passed over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom from COVID and my dad from cancer. Wow. But just, that. you know, in a situation like that, I mean, it was small town. You know, you hear the, the saying, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I had co- cousins. I grew up in a trailer. You know, we had the kerosene heater where mm-hmm. you had to go out and pump the little kerosene in it. And so growing up, you know, in a, an environment like that, our road that I lived on was called Brown Road. So most of the people on my on my yeah, road, Browns. you know, at that time were relatives. Yeah. Mm. That's a story people don't don't hear, right? Because they, they look at you and they see what you've done, who you are, and they automatically assume, nah, he, you know, what, what what's the word that you you know, oh he's he's entitled. He 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 doesn't know what hard work looks like. Uh-huh. But there's people that like you're saying, you kerosene, heater, and a trailer. Man, there, there's some folks. I was poor. Man. I ain't had no kerosene. And, and you remember that. <laughs> and you remember that. And you take it with you. Yeah. You never, you never, you you never leave that behind. No, they, they don't. You grew up playing baseball, like yeah. you said. But what, what other sports did you love as a kid? I mean, it was baseball and football for me. I had an older brother who, you know, he wrestled. Um, he did baseball, he did football, but you know, for me, it was, I was the youngest in the family too. And so I had older cousins. And so the big thing was, you know, they were going, you know, they beat up on me, you know, my brother, he's seven years older. And so just that whole situation, you know, it made me tough, but it made me want to be like them. And Mm. so, you know, it was just, I stuck to them too. And that was, you know, really my escape. You know, a lot of us say, you know, I think just, realistically speaking for a lot of you know athletes Mm -hmm. for the majority of us you know we're from environments where it's not a lot there's not a lot of resources Mm -hmm. and so you know I I like those type of guys because they have an edge to them but more importantly like it's just you know I didn't I didn't think about going to college until my sophomore year when I started to get letters and I'm like oh this might be real Um, Mm. because neither one of my parents went to school and so for me, my motivation, I wasn't running to the NFL. I was running from my current environment. You know what I'm saying? Like growing up, you know, both of my parents, you know, they get into fist fights. Like, you know, my dad, unfortunately, you know, was a big drinker. My mom as well, you know, the drugs and all of that stuff. So I'm like, the only way out is through this route. You know what I mean? And so, you know, when you look at that, my whole motivation was I, when I went to go to school, I don't want to come back to this environment unless it's a choice that I made, it ain't that I, once I go to school, I got to go back. And so just kind of keeping that as motivation, that was something that, you know, I always stuck to the back of my head. Cause I mean, the other part of people got to realize too, I was never a starting running back. Like at Auburn University, my rookie year, we had Rudy Johnson, he went to the league. And then the next year Cadillac comes in, he's the starter. So I'm a backup. And then to get drafted where I did, that was a bonus. Mm-hmm. And then getting in Miami, you know, I spent my whole career splitting time with Ricky. Yeah. So it was just a lot different for me. And so it had to be that grind mentality. We'll, we'll double back to, you know, you having all these stints as, as a running back, but who was Ronnie Brown as a kid? You've, you've referenced your parents. You've referenced Brown Road. Who was Ronnie himself as a kid? I mean, for me, I mean, I'm just a, a humble guy, small town guy, um, you know, with aspirations of being more, you know, even to this day, like after, you know, going to the NFL, I didn't look at that as a career. I just looked at it as an opportunity. Um, one, the motivation was to put my parents in a better situation. 
but also just paying it forward. Like with my kids and my kids' kids, just changing the trajectory of that family structure. Um, you know, whereas I didn't have the aspirations like of knowing, you know, what it's like to expect to go to a college or university. Yeah. But now my kids, you know, my wife and I both graduated from Auburn. So for my kids, we go to gymnastics meets, we go to basketball games, football games. The expectation for my kids is when I get to college. And so you know, my son's eight, my daughter's six. And so for them to even say that, that's a win for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, big time. Man, talking about college, I didn't realize you had committed to the University of Tennessee as a linebacker. Yeah. Why? How? Like, you, you play running back, right? But you, you committed to being a linebacker. Why? Yeah. So in, in high school – when you're on, you know, you're from a small town, you, play you know, I, uh, I mean, I, was, I wasn't from a small town, but I play, it's a lot of dudes that play double, you know, play both ways, both, yeah. both sides. Yeah. 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 So I played both ways. And so I played strong safety and I played some linebacker and I played running back. And so, you know, my first probably couple of offers with the exception of, you know, Georgia Tech, most of those guys, Clemson, um, you know, Tennessee, they wanted me to play linebacker. And so, you know, I just wanted to totally, rock you know the guys that carry the mail get to score the touchdowns and so you know that was where my passion was at so when I committed to Tennessee you know they had Jamal Lewis they yeah. had um um god what's Travis's last Travis Travis Henry, Henry. yep and so I'm like man I like the way these guys run the football and so I'm like man I want to go here and you know they style they downhill approach and then when they start them coaches start talking about possible moving a linebacker and all of this stuff I'm like, man, wait a minute. Let me let me see what else out there. So I took one official visit and went to Auburn. And how I got committed to Auburn was when I first got there, I was recruited to play baseball there as well. Hmm. And so the first stop was the baseball facility. And then ended up liking it. It was like a small town. Ain't nothing in Auburn but Auburn. And so I was like, man, this feels like home. And so I ended up committing to Tennessee. I mean, to Auburn or decommitting from Tennessee, going to Auburn like a week or so before signing day. Wow. And so did, were you going to play baseball as well, or you just you, you were just set on playing football? Yeah, I thought about it. You know, in that recruiting, you know how the, a lot of them conversations go. You hear a lot of stuff. A lot of sweet talking. May not, yeah, a lot of stuff that might not necessarily be true when you get there. And yep. so, you know, when I got there, it was like, oh, yeah, you can play baseball, but since you have a football scholarship, all the obligations for football come first. So you come to win a workout, if you come to all of this stuff, then you go to baseball practice. And I'm like, man, the first year after seeing it, you know, I ended up redshirting, trying to do that, wasn't playing, and trying to do school. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be one of them cats to be back at the career real fast. So mm. I ain't even, I ain't never give it a shot. That's one of my biggest regrets, though, that I didn't give it a shot. Hmm. This is a non-football question, but how, how much did college prepare you for life? Not much at all. Wow. You know, I think the big part about it, the biggest thing that came from sports to me was, you know, I met a lot of people that I wouldn't have other, otherwise met. You know, like being on this podcast, like crossing paths with someone of, you know, your statue, meeting guys like you guys. You know, I think that was the biggest thing that football did for me. But outside of that, in terms of, you know, me coming and going in corporate America, I had zero preparation, especially like even getting drafted, you know. I wasn't financially ready. I didn't understand that. And so, you know, while draft day was probably one of the most exciting days of my life, it was also one of the scariest coming from where I come from. I didn't know what to do with it. And then you got to think, 
somebody give me money and take me and put me in a city like Miami. Um, you know, that was kind of like, how do I navigate this? And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I just don't want to be one of them guys that go broke and not really know what the situation or mess this situation up. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to my dad talk a lot. He loves to talk. Uh, just give him a minute and he'll be right back. I love cut to it. And I, I love it even more when you download us and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media too, Smitty. Where where at? That's at cut to it on Instagram. What about Twitter? At cut to it. Facebook? Cut to it featuring Steve Smith Sr. What about online? And you can follow us at cuttoitpodcast.com where you can buy merch and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I got all my answers questions. I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother. Cuttoitpodcast.com. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're a financial advisor now. And you get to look back at Ronnie when he got drafted. You, you know your story, right? And this isn't a time for us to dredge up and and try to poke holes through your story, but just to hear you going backwards into saying, like, were you really set up for success? And if you were not, why is that? Because, before you answer, there are a ton of people, right, just, you know, we can all drive past a situation and assume why that individual is there. For instance, mental health, right? Some people, mental health, or even if you take an aspirin, you take an aspirin for the symptoms. But sometimes we don't go to the root cause. And you being a financial advisor now, and also being the kid with the headache, when you were in the league, you were taking aspirins. But now you're a financial planner. You get to go to the root cause. What do you believe some of your root causes were for you in some of the financial prosperity and mistakes that you made as a young man? You know, the environment, not even knowing what wealth accumulation was. You know, I think the majority of us athletes, our exposure to to wealth is usually tied to debt initially. Um, and so growing up Hold in that on environment. On. Why do you think it's tied to debt? Or why is me, it like, tied let's to just debt? Say, for, for me, like, let's just say one year, like for Christmas, we couldn't afford you know, Christmas presents. And yep. so, you know, luckily I have a, a set of godparents, you know, white family that came in and I met my godbrother at six years old playing, you know, a recreation football. But one year my mom took, you know, my name 
and you know, I'm junior. We applied for a credit card. That was how we got Christmas mm-hmm. presents for that year. Yep. And so not until after I graduated and I got drafted, I paid that off. And so my initial experience with having money was dead because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to have money because I come from an environment where, you know, I was taught to survive. I yeah. never understood the benefits of thriving. I never heard of, you know, 529 accounts. I never heard of some of these things to set you up, you know, even life insurance. So there were certain things that I didn't even know about that I had to educate myself on. And so when you come from that type of environment, you don't know and you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. so, you know, when you ask me about how does school prepare you for that, it doesn't no. because realistically speaking, a lot of the coaches that are tied to universities, their job is to win. They're not tied to, you know, you going to class or seeing what your major is. They don't ask you that. Like the one thing that most coaches, <laughs> and I ain't going to say all, is like, are you eligible? It ain't what's your GPA or what are you majoring in or what are you planning on doing? It's are you eligible? And then I don't even think it's coincidental that when you first get to school, you bogged out with a bunch of elective classes. This has nothing to do with you know, what you're trying to get into, what's happening post-college. You do a bunch of electives, and I think the initial thought is, let's get in, help them get transitioned to keep them eligible for sports. And then the ones that show that they got a lot of ability, those are the ones we're going to keep around. But the ones that don't, that's how we weed out the process. Um, And so it ain't even a good process when you start from it. And, you know, you hear a lot of the arguments, oh, yeah, you got a free education. Well, you got to think about it. The majority of these guys didn't even go to college to go to school they going because of the opportunity to use this for a way to get to where they're trying to get to. I mean, I, I think you brought up an interesting point. It's on one hand, I can look at my college experience and say, I, I met connections that uh, have put me into the trajectory of my career and entrepreneur journey to where, you know, they open up a spot at the table for me. But on the other hand, I agree a hundred percent with you, Ronnie, into where I wasn't prepared for adulthood through through college. You don't learn about balancing the checkbook. You don't learn about debt to income ratio. You don't necessarily, unless you're like an economics major, but you don't necessarily learn all those tangible things. So it's it, it goes both ways. But I think ultimately the the root of it goes to, and I think it even just extends outside of athletes, is just financial literacy. If that if that isn't passed down or if it isn't taught, it can evade someone very very quickly. Yeah, and and that's most guys' story. Think about it. Like you come from an environment, and then you go into this to play sports. You know, you don't have a coach, or even just let me take a step back. Growing up, like yep. we don't apply educational knowledge. Like my son is eight years old, and so when he goes out, everybody knows. Oh, like Reese Brown, he's the fastest guy in third grade. Like the way that they applaud that, they don't do the same thing for education and information because at the same time, you know, I'm looking at him, I talk about the importance of going to school and he's like, well, I don't want to be labeled as a nerd. And so, you know, there's the negative connotation mm-hmm. with being a smart kid, you know? And yeah. so I think that was the case even growing up. It was like, you didn't want to be the smart kid. So that's yeah. why a lot of guys acted out or, you know, it was kind of like the envy part of it because I'm not smart. I get a chance to be a bully and so make it not cool to be the smart guy. And so, you know, I think that's an, that's you. That's another issue in itself. Like we don't apply education. Or or it's just that people don't like, you can't pass down something that you don't have. So I think that's the other part too, that, 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 that information isn't obtained. So it can't be passed down. The other layer is they're also being a distraction because some of the 
um, some of what they're learning or being taught, it isn't registering, right? It, they, they're, they're not grasping because we've taken out home economics. We've taken out the, you know, I, I remember growing up when we did it every year. Man, we used to make this little stupid, silly teddy bear, right? Used to sew it, yeah. <laughs> cut it out, yarn, put the cotton in there, and you know, make a face. I mean, I had build a bear. It, it, well, yeah, it, but we used to put the button on. Yes, learn how to sew the button. Yeah, you yeah. used to do that and cook all of that stuff. They don't have it any, anymore. Uh-huh. It, it, it's you remember, driver's ed used to be offered in school. I remember they took driver's ed out of my high school like two years before I got to high school. Pretty much why I didn't get a driver's license until I was about 22. Because <laughs> also, I also didn't have no folk that had insurance. You couldn't take the driver's test without insurance, proof of insurance. So that ain't, they ain't my family wasn't signing up to get, they, uh, get the car taken. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it, so what, what money-wise... As a as an advisor, and going into corporate America, what's been the hardest transition for you? Would you say it's hard to being a former athlete to transition to corporate America because of how people uh, view you? A thousand percent, you know. And I think there's two hurdles, right? And so making that transition, one of the hurdles was because you know I think certain people regarded me as a I guess a someone who, you know, had been a professional being drafted, you know, second pick. And so wondering why, like, why would you transition into something else following, you know, a career where, you know, people look at it as, oh, I know how much money you made. And so in our own culture, especially as black people is, oh, you must be broke since you working. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on wait, the other side. Wait till you it, downsize. Wait till you downsize right. and your neighbor's looking at you like, oh, he must have tricked off his money. Not that I'm talking right. about personal experience, <laughs> so, but just tell me what they say when you're downsized. Right. And so that part of it, but then also on the other end of the spectrum, the reason I emphasize education to my kids is transitioning into corporate America. I realize people don't respect athlete in a, intellect. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. And I've had a bunch of those conversations where, you know, when I first got into this and I'm taking the licensing exams and all of these things, you know, the first question is, uh, you know, did you take the Series 7? Have you taken the 66? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, and you passed? And I'm like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, like just, you know, and so those unintended wow. comments. And Why are you so saying, I think hold on, why are you saying wow? Because that's so, that's so disrespectful. Well, that's how they look at us. I, it, uh, the thing that I think about is people respect you for what you do, but not for what you think. We, we, love, we love your right. talent, but we don't love your mind. I always talk about is how athletes how we assess, how we must adjust at halftime and in practice, right, that how the corporate classroom lacks the adjustment. They lack the ability to make, like it takes six or seven months or sometimes six or seven years to even see the residual of making one or two decisions where those one or two decisions are the difference between winning and losing a game and you, you'll talk about it the following Monday after tw- less than 24 hours mm-hmm. of, of, of experiencing it. Mm-hmm. So how, how, did foot, how, did, how did playing sports 
and corporate America, like how do they butt heads from you being a high octane performing individual? Yeah, well, I, I think the one thing is as athletes who especially aspire to do things intellectually, you have an advantage because like you said, like as athletes, you learn how to deal with adversity. You learn how to be a team player and how to sacrifice. That ain't something necessarily true when you come into corporate America because that your existence is based on individual. It's like, you know, everything that you learn up through, you know, I think that point of marriage is what do I need to do to be better? Like, how can I do this? Like, what do I need to do? How can... And so it's all pertaining to I, whereas you learn a sense of sacrifice being an athlete. You learn how to deal with adversities. You learn how to deal with challenges. You know, I wouldn't call it failures. Uh, I call it learning lessons Absolutely. or teachable moments. And so you learn those things. So coming into corporate America, I felt like I had an advantage. My biggest hurdle was people not wanting to allow me to grow outside of that box that they wanted to keep me in as, you know, the second overall pick, the Miami Dolphins former running back and wanting to keep me in that space. But intellectually, you know, I feel like there's, you know, certain, a lot of stuff to learn, but you know, what we've done, it's not many people that can accomplish that, but being able to go and educate yourself that's the easy part of it. All you have to do is apply yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that's what really helped me, even with going through those tests. Like, those exams weren't easy. Like, no. it's the first time in my life I ever took a six-hour exam. But to sit there and be dedicated, I know what that's like. It took me 22 years to get to the NFL, or, you know, we'd say probably 16 because you started at six years old when I started playing. And so to have that and understand what it means to be dedicated, determined to an end goal, not a lot of people can say that, you know, and so I feel like that was my advantage and understanding that and being willing to do, you know, because the guys like yourself, Steve, like a guy that I, you know, is a Hall of Fame wide receiver, there is a level of commitment that normal people, a lot of people don't understand mm -hmm. that you have to be willing to do and certain sacrifices that you have to make to get to that level of success. And so to know that you're able to do that when you know, most people would have quit at certain moments, like breaking your forearm or certain things. Not everybody's willing to do that. And so I'm like, man, I'm willing to do something that you're not. I'm willing to go, you know, where you aren't to get to where I'm trying to go. And what, part of that probably comes from, you know, an upbringing. But the other part of it is, you know, hey, just as a competitor, that's what I enjoy, like, is being better. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you've seen transitioning for football into corporate America that people have it, p things you've uh, you have seen with your eyes because of being a football player not allowing we call it Jedi mind trick you know when you're running back you're sitting in there in the in the and you're right next to the quarterback so the quarterback in the center has to make adjustments based on the de defense and if if the full if the free safety comes down they slide and he comes down, and now he's the he's a he's a nickel uh, linebacker, you know. And so they start to do things, and then a quarterback says a magical word in that offense that tells all the other men, "We have to make an adjustment." How is the adjustment ability in corporate America when you compare it to football and 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 or sports in corporate America? Dude, I, I think we're starting to see the effects of that. You know, we talk about. Uh, you know, all of this mental stuff that's going on. I think a huge part of that is due to these adversities and the lack of being able to make adjustments. You know, I think a, 
an effect of that is a lot of the mental challenges we're seeing. Like, I think that's, you know, not what a lot of people are used to, especially like in certain environments, like my kids go to private school, right? And so I think one of the challenges in those environments is you're in a bubble because everybody around you is like you. You know, everybody has some type of, for the most part, everybody has financial means or everyone has shared goals of, you know, where they come from. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, when you talk about getting outside of that bubble and the reality of life, not everyone can deal with that adversity. That's why I think there's, you know, a huge upside to creating diverse companies or being in diverse companies. Like Steve Smith, you can put on a, a jacket and go a suit and tie and go into a room with a bunch of billionaires or you can go to, you know, to the middle of the hood in L.A. and hang out and be just as comfortable. Not everybody has that flexibility. And so being able to be able to be comfortable in those different environments gives you an advantage. And so a lot of times in corporate America, people don't have that flexibility and don't know how to make those, you know, on-site adjustments or in-the-moment adjustments when it comes to, you know, those disappointments or those adversities. When you first got on to the corporate America, did some with your ability to make those adjustments were they counterintuitive for your success originally a little bit because i think the the reality of it is like you lose a little bit of yourself especially for me like you know i think to some degree at 40 years old now i don't think that i've always organically been myself and that's sad mm. to say you know no, what i'm saying i feel like in are. certain environments you know i in certain environments for me to make that transition, I feel like I had to assimilate to a certain environment, mm. which made me uncomfortable. Like, you know, going into it, you know, now I don't really wear suits, but when I first got into it, you know, I was dressing with slacks and, you know, I looked like a little insurance guy, but I was trying <laughs> to make, every- <laughs> you know, I was trying to make everybody feel comfortable yeah. with yeah. my presence, mm-hmm. but I was the most uncomfortable mm. in that. And so I think, it made it hard because working with some athletes, they kind of looked at it like, oh, you lame. Like, you know what I'm saying? But then on the other end is, you know, you're trying to fit into an environment which you you really weren't meant to fit in anyway. Um, hold on, so hold on. Kinda, whoa, 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 whoa. Why weren't you meant to fit in? Because you don't need to dress like an insurance guy to be in corporate America. Like, just embrace it. You are who you are. Like, that's just not how I normally dress. So the confidence didn't even come off mm. as such because... I didn't feel comfortable with, all right, man, like instead of wearing, you know, these, these dress shoes, you know, I'm going to come in there. I got, you know, maybe some jeans and some Stan Smiths and, you know, maybe a, a button up or something, yeah. but not trying to look like everybody else gotcha. when you know you're not like it. I'm not like everybody else. Yeah. Like, and so just getting to a point of comfortable to say that, like, man, listen, like yeah. I'm not like you, my journey wasn't like yours. And so what I bring to the table is something totally different. And, I just finally start. I'm just finally starting to get wow. to a point where I've accepted who I am mm-hmm. to be able to go out and have those conversations as a representative of self and not trying to be something I'm not. How how many years have you been yourself now? This is probably the first year where I'm just getting comfortable with, wow. you know, and I know where people what they're saying means like elevation requires separation, like. It's just some people that just got to get left or some people are just not going to accept you for who you are. But until you're true to yourself, it's not really going to matter anyway. And you, so you're really not successful, even though you may reach some level of success. But if you're not yourself, 
then you're not really successful. And so, you know, in going out and having these conversations, I'm just getting to a point to where I'm comfortable with acknowledging that and just saying, all right, man, if you don't mess with me, you just don't mess with me. Going along with what Smitty said about misconceptions, though, what's the biggest misconception that people have about money from your perspective as a financial advisor? The misconception, the, the more money you have, the more intelligent you are. Yeah, um, it's a lot of dumb billionaires out there, ain't it? And and that's the exact thing that, you know, and I see it all the time, especially when you talk about, you know, people with money. And then that goes back to the athlete. A lot of times for athletes, you get drafted, you get these big signing bonuses. People expect you to be responsible. I'm like, wait a minute. Like these young men, 22 years old. Like if I gave you anybody at 22, you know, multiple million, you're going to mess it up, especially when you have no idea yeah. of what it looks like to have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so. You know, we want to associate intelligence with wealth. I'm like, man, there's a lot of dummies out here that can hit the lottery. They got a lot of money. They don't know what to do with it. I, I, there's two things that I associate money as a great example is one, I say making it in the NFL is because I've had people say, they say, man, you know, how could you, how could you trick off or how could you mess up? The lotto is a great example of people messing up money. And then also, too. Being in the NFL is, it, it is equivalent to getting your tax return. How many times just for me and my family, well, when we got that tax return, that thing was spent before we got it. And then the other thing, as a little kid, you want to know how a kid is going to treat something? Give, somebody, give a kid, well, back in the day, before it became electronic and, you know, like Dave and Buster's with the car, card. Give a kid five or ten bucks and take him to the uh, to the arcade. Man, I just remember getting that five dollars or a couple of dollars when it used to be a quarter. Man, give me a dollar and go play Miss Pac-Man, right? You got those four quarters and it costs, th you know, three quarters to play. You don't even know. You can see a kid how they are. And you can see an adult how they are. It's how they play video games in an in arcade with their kids. When you get those points, you get that charge card, when you don't have to pay attention to it, you can, you can get a charge card of Dave & Buster's for, you know, 5,000 points for 40 bucks, and in, 20, in less than 10 minutes, that card is down to zero that quick because you don't have to think about it. You just get the swipe yeah. or, you know, COVID, you know, tag it or you know wand it over and all of a sudden you're done cut to it cut to it let's get down to it cut to it hey gerard where did you get that t-shirt you mean this thing oh yes i got it from cut to it podcast.com where we have exclusive merchandise shout out to our guys at 704 shop but yeah you can go on buy you a t-shirt subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts you know a spot but not just a spot the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, we'd be remiss though, Ronnie, if we didn't, you know, at least talk about, you know, your football career. And you mentioned Auburn just a little bit, but you know, everyone, of course, remembers that duo you and Cadillac Williams, one of the best running back duos in history at SEC. Y'all had that undefeated season in 04. Just what are some of your fondest memories of, of playing at Auburn? You know, for me, it was just uh, that relationship. You know, a guys that I came in with, you know, in, in 99, 2000, you know, the guys I got recruited with, you know, my roommate was Jason Campbell, um, you know, Cadillac and Carlos Rogers came in the following year. And so just growing with that group of guys and establishing those bonds, I think that's what's different than being in an NFL locker room is mm. because, you know, you're adults, you know, everybody got responsibility. Some guys got families. And so you're not really creating that camaraderie. Like in 2004, you know, over those few years, we did everything together. We went out, you know what I'm saying? We went to the bars, we hung out, we did everything and we created, you know, an environment to where we believed in each other. And then even before that is we got to know each other. You know what I mean? Like I know where, you know, Steve is from. Like I got to know about his family, like what motivated him. And so when I line up beside a guy, we go through these offseason workouts. I know exactly what I'm going to get. So when we get on the field, it's easy to trust them, like especially with the guys that you know that you, mm-hmm. you know, just you tight with. You know, I know exactly what I'm about to get out of them. And so creating those bonds, like that's the best part about sport for me is I'm addicted to being a competitor. Like I compete in everything. I hate to lose more than I like to win. And so being in that environment, getting to know guys, you know, that, that was the cool part. Man, Jason, you, you started mentioning names. Carlos Rogers, hell of a DB, right? That, that team was stacked. But Jason, Jason Campbell, I think of Jason Campbell, he was a guy that didn't get a fair opportunity. Steady. When you look at when you look at his college career and then you look at his football career, every year he had a new coordinator. He never got to adjust and get comfortable. And 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 that's the same thing of in financial world. How can you how can you really gain any traction, have any kind of residual passive income, mailbox money, if you're constantly transactionally changing philosophies, you know, to where it, it just doesn't help you. And Jason Campbell is one of those guys when I go back and as an analyst, I go back and go, man, this dude with the 49ers, with the with the Washington uh, Washington Commanders, Washington football team, he never had consistency. It was always – he was always moving. It was always a moving target. The goalposts always moved for him. Now that you are a financial planner and now you've been on in football, going backwards of what you knew being a Miami Dolphin, being an Auburn Tiger, what what would you change or alter for yourself 
or other men or women coming out of college that can help help you stay on the right path? I think, bro, the the, real, the honest part of that is understanding the power of education. You know, and I think we all hear knowledge is power, mm-hmm. but to really understand it at this phase, especially as athletes, because, you know, I go into these different environments and a lot of these guys look at athletes just like prey because you're going to get a lot of money, but you don't have a lot of understanding and knowledge. So that creates opportunity to take advantage of guys. And so, there's a lot of that that happens, but just in general, in life, the more knowledgeable you are, you can limit a lot of the BS, a lot of the, I think, bad decisions and make more educated decisions. And so, you know, as individuals, we got to be willing to educate ourselves, involve and engage ourselves in the process. You know, too many times, you know, even myself, that's part of the reason I transitioned is there was too many times I gave people power and reign over my financial situation, you know, without getting an understanding of it. You see guys all the time, like you in a locker room, you ask a guy, like, you know, whether you don't have a lot of financial conversations, but when you do, it's like, Hey, how much you pay your guy? And it's like, Oh, I pay him 1%. Most guys don't even know 1% of what or how that's made up or what the construct, how that's constructed or, you know, and, and getting involved in it. You hold your agent more accountable than you do your financial advisor. It's like, well, What's up with this deal? What's up with, and we don't have those conversations. So we have to make it normal to educate ourselves about the stuff that we're involved in, whether it's businesses, investments, you know, life, people that we're involving and allowing to be a part of our circle. It's just the education that has to be there. Both both of y'all lightly touched on mental health, but Ronnie, what do you do in terms of taking care of your mental? You you've mentioned uh, both your parents recently passed away. I, I can relate to that. I just had a parent uh, that I that I lost in the past year. So what do you do to take care of yourself mentally? You know, I'm working on that. You know, and, and I'm acknowledging that. You know, because appreciate I feel like that we honesty. All, I appreciate yeah, that like honesty. We, yeah, because we all have trauma from growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, certain environments, certain things that we dealt with, and that shapes us the older we get whether it's the parenting style or different things that how we respond to certain you know situations and so I actually just had a conversation with my wife the last few months about I mean I think I'm gonna go start seeing like a therapist or something mm-hmm. just to kind of get some get some of those things out that I know are down there yeah. before you know at some point if they you know as I get older and certain things that I experience that they start to kind of come back and, and show their face and so you know that's something that I want to get get more involved with oh yeah it's easy to bury it and it's easy to pretend like it's not there yeah and you know i think jay-z's his whole you know i think his quote was you know you can't heal something that you're not willing to reveal and so i know there's some stuff down there that i just need to get out and have a conversation about what's some of the disadvantages you have now as a, a, a advisor walking into some of these meetings with soon to be athletes or soon to get drafted or do you stay away from athletes tell you know yeah yeah no and working with the biggest part of that is bro the hurdle of i'm not entertaining the bullshit i'm not telling the guy man listen i'm gonna help you finance this car like bro you don't need none of that stuff and it's not shiny it's not attractive to a lot of these young guys especially being in those situations because i know how that ends up for a lot of guys i've seen it and so, and just knowing that a lot of these guys aren't for you, you know, it's a transactional relationship, mm. you know, and we all know how some of those relationships start. But at the end of the day, 
as a business guy, logically speaking, there's nothing free in life. And so if you're one of them guys that somebody been giving you money to sign with them, you got to understand just in the nature of business, they going to recoup their money first before anything happens. And so, you know, just not being willing to even have those conversations with guys, it probably cuts off a lot of access to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also on the other side of it, it's being a threat to a lot of the guys that are already in it because I'm not willing to tell a guy a lie and I'm going to keep it, you know, a buck with them and tell them the truth about how this works. Cause I'm not interested. I don't, I don't want to share in your fame and know I don't care about going to professional games and being on the sideline or being on your Instagram. I got my own family. And so at the end of the day, I'm here to hopefully for you to assist you in life after this over. Yeah. Cause it don't make no sense if you go through all of this, and you finish and you ain't got nothing to show for it. Like that's a sense of failure. And so, you know, my whole goal is for you, when you, when you finish this is to kind of create a lifestyle that's sustainable and not being interested in what everybody else doing. And so, you know, it, it limits the access. Um, it makes the entry point a lot harder because there's not a lot of relationships that are being created because it's not a lot of what we said earlier, uh, authentic, yeah. relationships. So you know what it, I mean? Has it been tough has it been tough for you or relieving to to walk into the, walk into these meetings? Cuz I, I let's be honest. I know you didn't sat I got my I got my combine book last uh last week. And in the combine book um they have things that you can fill out. And it has miscellaneous information. And some of the miscellaneous information is information that these young men have divulged on their own. Hmm. It is some, it's some well of a tales in that thing. It's some well of a tales. Yeah. Now it's been tough. You know what I mean? Because making the transition one, a lot of us, you know, I'm in a locker room with you and then I transitioned. And a few years later, you see me as a financial advisor. One, you already don't trust that, that process. And so, strategically speaking, that's why I kind of went with a bigger firm and had to get, you know, credentials and all of that stuff. And then I compare that with the the real life experience mm-hmm. of going through it. You know, I'm like, it ain't too many guys that can say they went and got drafted where I did, went through those experiences, but now on the other side of the table to assist you through that. And so, you know, now I'm somewhat of a, a threat to a lot of guys. Oh, you um, Not somewhat. I'm, Stop lying. You are a threat. Right. So I'm affecting that chain of command because it's like, wait a minute, if we allow Ronnie to get in, one, he can speak the language of a lot of the athletes and he understands it. But then, two, he has the ability to to give them the good advice about stuff that they're going to experience and to keep it real life experiences and not try to hide in them. Because at the other end of the day, I'm like, man, I don't even I don't need your money. You know what I mean? Like, I just want it. It's it's exciting for me to be able to give you the game that I wish I had known, mm. you know, and a lot of times, Steve, you know, like because of that pride, we don't even keep it a hundred when our advisors, or our people have taken advantage of us or we get in situations like we don't share them stories with the young guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? About yeah. people that have, you know, wronged us or whatever, because that pride, we don't want to let nobody know that we were vulnerable in this situation. And so we don't even speak on it. And unfortunately the next guy gets taken advantage of yeah. I, I used to, my financial guy, I used to go from practice. I would go and watch him input the stock in, like just to make sure he did it right and also that I can learn. So my financial guy 
have a good relationship with, he was willing to teach me. So I actually interned. I interned. He was with UBS. UBS and then Morgan Stanley. I interned with him for two years and learned. And I was kind of on my route to take my Series 7. And then my wife said, no, you you, you, you and these numbers, y'all need to give it a rest, <laughs> right? And and I'm a numbers guy already. You're talking about, man, I can I can sit with a notepad and ink pen. <sighs> I can get after it. I, and so what, what has been the most rewarding aspect of the uh, of your of your new venture and job? And and, and to some degree, you know, I, I'm not stepping on a limb here and saying it, but I do believe your calling and what you feel like God has put you here. Not just to serve your family, not just be a great husband, to be a, to be a great son, and 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 father, but just you know also paying it forward. Yeah, and that's that's it, man. Like I believe in serv- servant leadership, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like I was called to go through that whole experience of growing up how I did, going through Auburn, going through the NFL, just to be in this situation to you know assist people. You know, unfortunately, people hold money in such a high regard. So to see them get that that financial freedom or to at least have a strategy, a plan in mm-hmm. place to where it creates some comfort and not, you know, the pressures, you know, it's that's rewarding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think knowledge and information only as good as your willingness to share that. And so it wouldn't do me any good to learn all this stuff if I'm not willing to share it with, you know, a lot of the younger guys. You know, I work with a lot of non-athletes as well. And so, you know, that's that's the beauty in it. Um, is being able to share that and see somebody feel comfortable with that that whole process. So for people who may not know, what is servant leadership and how does that differ from other types of leadership? Because I, I, I would never tell somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. You know, just the same way that, you know, I'm telling, you know, people to do stuff. That's what I'm doing myself. You know what I mean? And so, you know, in this position, a lot of times we get it wrong is because as a leader, we feel like we stand in front of a group, we tell them what to do, and nobody's holding us accountable. Mm. But I'm like, man, listen, I'm in the bunker with you. You know what I mean? And so understanding, like, listen, when we when I say do this, it's from experience or it's from something that I'm doing myself. Now, will I always be right? No. Absolutely not. I mean, but human, least, you, you, know you can't always, you can't always predict the unpredictable, especially with money. Um, and human error, human feelings in the business ventures or or also the economy, right? Right. And so I'm like, you know, I never error. And you, I mean, if you hold me account, I mean, if you, you know, fire me for being honest with you, you know, then I'm fine with that. But you ain't got to worry about me ever lying to you, you know, or trying to get over. And so, you know, I think when I think of servant leadership, it's, you know, doing what I'm telling you to do myself. And you hold me just as accountable, you know, as I, because there's a, it's an accountability thing. Who's the most difficult client? It's the athlete, because we don't know. And so there's an educational hurdle mm. that, you know, because I tell God, look, you should never invest in anything that you don't understand. And so if I try to make it too difficult to understand, then you probably should be worried about what's mm-hmm. happening. Um, and so, you know, this thing should be simple. And so there's not a lot of people willing to invest the time into the education process to make sure the athletes are comfortable or to know exactly what's going on. Because 
unfortunately, in certain situations, people are trying to hide something or there's just not 100% transparency. And so to be willing to make that commitment to educate these these young men, you know, it's a big key. And then, you know, it's a time commitment. Yeah. And to know that, you know, my investment is seeing how well they do after this is all said and done. And so in, in dealing with that clientele group, it's a lot, it's a bit of a challenge because, you know, there's a trust barrier that has to be there because, you know, a lot of us don't even trust this process anyway because it's so new. Yeah. Like we didn't know. And you and you should growing up. You you shouldn't right. trust a new process. Right. Especially with assets that, you know, you hopefully hopefully you are going to be able to rely on for the rest of your life and if you're doing it well enough and your advisor has the right perspective, it's generational changing. It's right. generational wealth. It should be uh, it, it, it actually, and this is my philosophy, it, you should you should have your money working for you to where you comfortably can take a portion out and set it aside for the next generation. So your grand your grandkids should be getting a portion of your assets just off rip because for me, when I look at wealth in other cultures, that's how it is. It's generational. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I say it for me, for black folks, sometimes we get jealous at inheritance, right? We get jealous of, she didn't even earn her money. That, you're right, because her, her family decided we're going to invest in this. So Trey, right, Stevon Third. Like the third, you know, it's Steve, on, Steve Smith Sr., Steve Smith Jr., and then it's Trey, Steve Smith the third, Or, the, you know, the third should be wreaking the benefit of me breaking my arm uh, in New York. I, I, I just, you can't trick it off in Vegas all the time. You got you to gotta have something to show for. Or there just wasn't an inheritance to pass along anyway. Yeah. Right? So that's, yep. that's, that's the other part of the whole conversation. So, um, Ronnie, you, uh, you mentioned you, you're 40. Where you gonna be in the next ten years? Dang, that mean you'd be fifty, and I'd be fifty-three. Yeah, you'd be old. I'd yeah, be fifty-three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I think uh, you know, for me, it's one: my kids, my son, you know, off to college, my daughter doing well in high school. For me personally, I don't have an end zone with this one. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have a goal line. Like, I'm trying to see how many guys I can help, how many people I can help, how many families I can affect. Um, with doing this mission and so you know who knows like i'm gonna do it to the best of my ability and see where it take me um but i honestly can say i don't have an end zone i don't you know i ain't trying to cross the goal line with this one because there is no number for it well appreciate you bro i know you i know you got some uh you got some financial careers to save man and uh keep doing your thing and uh we'll hit you we'll, we'll link up man since you right there in atlanta man we can give you an excuse to come up to charlotte Hey, man, I do it. You are a unique person. You are well worth it. You are competent. And most of all, you're lovable. I'm Steve Smith Sr. I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. (laughs) Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr. That is me. Is a production of Cut To It LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From Cut To It, executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media team Wesley Robinson and John Show. From Balto Creative Media, Cut To It is produced by Brian Baltashevich and Meredith Carter with production assistance by Alex Lebrecht, production coordinator Taylor Robinson. Theme music by Alex Johnson, lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.